Raven. And I'm Bezzy. And you're listening to Dreaming in the Dark, the Black fantasy podcast of your dreams. Dreaming in the Dark is a podcast created by Black fantasy scholars Bezzy Johannes and Raven K. Stringfield, two Black girls with a love of magic that brings the stories we wished we had as children to the forefront. Named after visionary Toni Morrison's treasured critical analysis, Playing in the Dark, our podcast celebrates the creations that center those usually written in the margins of the fantastic. The aim of Dreaming in the Dark is to craft a place where we explore our visions for Black futures and freedoms and play in the worlds created by Black artists, scholars, and writers. On this episode of Dreaming in the Dark, we'll be talking to children's liter- literature scholar, Dr. Stephanie Tolliver. Dr. Stephanie Renee Tolliver is an assistant professor of literacy and secondary humanities at the University of Colorado Boulder. She earned her PhD in language and literacy education, as well as a graduate certificate in diversity, equity, and inclusion from University of Georgia. And she was a 2019 NAED Spencer Dissertation Fellow. She's also a proud alumna of Florida State University with an MS in Curriculum and Instruction, 2015, and Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University with a BA in English Education in 2011. Informed by her love of science fiction and fantasy texts, as well as her experience as a ninth and 10th grade English and reading teacher, Tolliver Scholarship centers the freedom dreams of Black youth and honors the historical legacy that Black imaginations have had and will have on activism and social change. Her academic work has been published in several journals, including research on diversity and youth literature, Journal of Children's Literature, Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy, and English Journal. Her public scholarship has been featured on LitHub, HuffPost, and The Hornbook. Welcome to Dreaming in the Dark, Stephanie. We're so excited to have you on. I'm so excited to be here. To kick things off, you know, we always love asking our guests how they got into Black fantasy, since obviously that's the discussion of our podcast, and it's something that's near and dear to all our hearts. So what were some of the first books or other media like shows and movies that drew you into fantasy and specifically Black fantasy and science fiction? Yeah, so... I grew up kind of in a household that appreciated science fiction and fantasy. Specifically, my dad like had his Star Trek night. And like if we wanted to watch TV because that was the only TV in the house, we were going to watch Star Trek. And I I am not a Star Trek fan. I do not consider myself that mainly, I think, because I didn't want to watch it. Like I I have not watched it as an adult because I was forced to watch it as a kid. Um, So that was kind of part of growing up. But then from that, I started realizing that there were certain things I did like about it. Like I liked, you know, the space and I liked like how they had all this like really cool technology. And so it wasn't like I went and searched for those things. But when I saw them on TV specifically, I was like, oh, this is really cool. So like, I really loved like the secret world of Alex Mack. Like I, that was my show. I wanted to watch it all the time. There were a few like anime shows that I watched like Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. Um, And then let's see, it was around like late elementary when I started reading more sci-fi um and usually it was the Animorphs books before that I was really big on boxcar children for some reason I read all of them and then my dad very Christian 
uh, household. He didn't allow me to read certain books, but the Left Behind series the for kids, I was allowed to read that. And that I thought was science fiction, which it, I mean, technically, if you think about it, it is, right? So like I was reading, I was like, this is really cool. I did not really understand the Christian undertones in them. Now I look back at it and I'm like, hmm, there's some stuff in there. But like at the time, I really enjoyed reading those books. And then um, from there was Animorphs. And then um, I found The Hero and the Crown by um, Robin McKinley. And I was like, oh, this is cool too. And I, I don't remember like everything about the book, but I do remember like a lot of the characters in that book were dark, like darker skinned. And the issue, not the issue, but I guess the issue about the protagonist was that she was pale. And so like, it was this big thing. And so like, it was the first time I saw a whole bunch of dark people in a book that had like these, these themes in it, like this genre. Um, and so I, I read a lot of white-centered science fiction and fantasy. I watched a lot of white science or white-centered science fiction and fantasy when I was growing up. And it wasn't until I was in undergrad that I found black science fiction and fantasy. And it was, I was like 20, 21. And I had found um, Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. And Sadly, I thought that it was a new author. <laughs> so like I had called my mom and I was like, yo, like there's this new book and like it's written by a black woman. There's a black girl character that's like at the head of like the whole story, like it's her story. And then like I'm raving about this new author <laughs> and she was not new at all. Um, and so it's one of those things where I laugh about it now. But at the time I was just like, I had been asking for those stories. Like I had asked English teachers for dragons and magic and super cool technology with black characters all through like my secondary school experience specifically. And everybody was like, oh no, like we have no idea. None of these books exist. They are just not around. And then come to find out they were, right? And it may have been like an adult book, but we were reading, um, Shakespeare, we were reading Gatsby, that was adult text too. So I think that like, that's that Octavia Butler was my entry point into black science fiction and fantasy. And for the longest time, once again, I could have looked harder and I could have found a librarian asked questions, but I don't like doing that because it makes me feel weird to ask librarians questions sometimes. Um, but I thought it was just Octavia for the longest time. So I was like devouring her books. And then later on coming to find out like, oh, there's more authors here. So that's how I got into it. And my my intro to sci-fi and fantasy in general was Star Trek, but my intro to black science fiction and fantasy was Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower. Yeah, I love that and can definitely relate. My dad, um, who I we've talked about at various points during, you know, the podcast in the first season, um, I got dragged from everything to X-Men to Blade. So I totally relate to, you know, having the nerdy dad and kind of just like getting it by osmosis or like genetic, you know, however that passes down. Um, but yeah, and also can relate to, you know, finding Octavia Butler and your world being rocked open. Like it's just, it's, it's such a moment. It's such a specific, it's, it's for black women in particular looking for science fiction fantasy, finding Octavia Butler is almost like a rite of passage, like that moment when you find her and, you know, you, you suddenly know what to do. Like you suddenly know where, where you're going. 
exactly. Yes. So, you know, Bessie and I are also both scholars and we've studied black science fiction and fantasy in different programs. I'm in American studies and Bessie did English. Um, so we wanted to ask you about grad school. How and when did you decide that you wanted to study and research Black science fiction and fantasy in academia? And what was your journey to a PhD and beyond like considering that this is your area of interest? It was very roundabout. Like me and academia have had a very interesting relationship. Um, Like when I was graduating from high school, I didn't plan on going to college at all. I told my mom I was going to be a massage therapist because I had, that was six months of school and I'd be done. And I was like, I've done everything you asked. Like I had a 4.0. I took all the classes besides AP because I was like, I'm not taking AP. I'm not going to college. Um, And then she took me to FAMU and I got there and I was like, oh, I'm going to college. So, (laughs) you know, like I had never seen that many black people at a university in my life. I've never, I had never been to a university to even see that. And so she knew what she was doing. And when I was there, like it was still very traditional. Like all of my English classes, we had to take Shakespeare one, Shakespeare two, American English, and none of it, even at an HBCU, like we had like an African-American lit class, but there wasn't that much black literature there. And so for me, academia looked like the study of white texts, right? And then um, while I was teaching, I taught ninth grade English and I was just I was seeing the students in my classroom and I was like, there's got to be a better way to engage them in the stuff that I'm supposed to teach them. And it's like, I was looking at what we were required to teach and it was like, we're required to teach these standards, but the standards don't say I have to keep teaching these texts that they hate. And so I went back to get my master's to focus on curriculum to really think through like, how can I bring in other types of texts into the classroom? And I was still kind of like, like warring against myself and my training of like, you have these texts, these canonical texts, these are the things that they need to know in order to, I don't know, succeed in the world. And then seeing the way that my students lit up when I taught things that were more relevant to what they enjoyed. And like when I brought in stuff that I liked, like I would find like um, like little short sci-fi stories online and I'd bring those in and we'd have the same conversations that we were having um, about the canonical text with these texts and with more interest. And so I was like, this is really cool. But I didn't know that that was an area of study. I didn't know any PhDs. Um, I don't have, a, I have a military family. Um, so for the most part, like that's academia was not a track that we went on to. Um, and so it was kind of like, there was this one moment I was talking to one of my mentors and she was just like, what you're doing in your classroom is research right now. The way that you are like, you're studying what your students are enjoying and you are switching your pedagogy based on like what you're learning from them. She's like, that's research. Why don't you continue? And I was like, I did, I got my master's. Like, what are you talking about? And she's just like, no, go for your doctorate. And to me, like when I think of doctor, I don't think of me. I don't think of black woman. And so I was like, I ain't doing that. (laughs) And um, she was like, apply to one school. And if you get in, you gotta go. And I was like, I, I'm gonna do that. And so I applied to UGA because I had heard that their program was difficult to get into. And then I got in. And so I was like, I, I see something is working beyond myself and I guess I need to go. And I remember my first semester, um, some of my professors, they were like, you know, play in the sand, figure out what you're interested in, like find that thing that you enjoy that you would want to study. And I was listening to some of my colleagues and a 
the majority of my colleagues were white women and white men. And they were like, oh, I want to study Foucault. And I want to look at Heigl. And I want to do, and I'm just like, this, this, like none of this interests me at all. Like I was like, there's no way I can live my life looking at these words that seem so convoluted for no reason. And so I, at first I, I didn't think that the PhD was for me. Um, I almost left after my first year because I was just like, everybody knows all these scholars and all these people and theory and whatever all of this means. And I don't know what it means. And it was Ruth Harmon. So Ruth Harmon, she's a professor at UGA. And she was just like, well, what do you like to do? And I was like, I watch a lot of anime. I read a lot of sci-fi books. Um, I watch a lot of sci-fi movies because that's literally, I mean, even still, it's pretty much all I do. Right now I'm rewatching Glee, but outside of that, that's all I do. Um, and she was like, well, why don't you study that? And I was just like, that's a possibility. Like, that's something I can do. And she's like, you can study anything you want. And I was like, nah, like you playing. Like, that's not, no one has ever said that to me. And so after that, like something clicked. Like that moment when she was like, you can do anything you want in there. And I was just like, cool. Like that's all I needed was somebody to say that to me. And since then it's been all black sci-fi fantasy and finding new ways to talk about it, trying to figure out ways to present my research in ways that my mom would enjoy to read, not able to read, but enjoy reading. Cause there is a difference. Like, I think like when we say like, uh, public scholarship and able to read or whatever, then we're like really talking down to people. But in reality, we're writing in these ways that no one likes to read. Like, I don't like reading some of my own work sometimes because I get bored. So like, just the fact that like that statement that she made that and said that I was like, I can do this. This is what I love and what I want to focus on. And I want to help teachers like this. I wish I was able to help the teachers that I had to help them to find the books that some of these kids are asking for that they don't know exist. And so that's how I got into it. And that's kind of been my journey <laughs> towards this really specific area of research. I love it. And I, you and I are really kindred spirits. We have a, a lot of similarities and, you know, how we got here and sort of our approach to scholarship and in that sort of thing, like, you know, Bezzy and I already talked about you know, how amazing it was for me to get into a classroom and teach um, a bunch of Black girls, Black fantasy that featured Black girls, right? Like that was such a, like a career and just like a life-defining moment for me was to have that, have that experience with them in the classroom. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, you know, there's also thinking about what you said, um, uh, I lost my train of thought, but um, I'm I'm also thinking about your public scholarship. You know the the what you mentioned there about not wanting to talk down to people and writing things that your parent your your mother would enjoy reading, right? Like that is also something that I think a lot about. And so you know, for folks that might be a little new to academic research we often prioritize writing to a very small audience of experts, right? Mm -hmm. So at what point um, did you realize you wanted to speak to more people? And you've already sort of be begun to talk about this, but how did centering public scholarship become such a central pillar to your own research? I feel like it came naturally. 
in, so I love sharing everything with my family. Like my mom, I'm like, look, I wrote this article. Like, you want to read it? <laughs> or like, I'll talk to my sister as I'm working through an idea. And my sister's in um, marketing research and my mom is in business something. I don't know what she does. But like, they're not in my field, but I like to talk to them through these ideas that I'm having. And I realize that when I'm talking to them, I don't speak the same way that I'm forced to write sometimes. Like when I'm talking to them about theory, I use metaphor, I use story. I try to like make it interesting. Like here are some really wonderful ways that I'm thinking about thinking, right? And when I write it in these papers, it's like um, very boring, convoluted, long sentence citation. And like, I, I feel like there's gotta be a balance of sorts. Like if I consistently wrote that way, I think about, I want to say it was my first conference ever. And I got there and this, it was a professor of something. I don't know. I went to this random session and this dude was talking. I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like you are just saying words right now and I'm putting them together and they are not making much sense. And like, people are like, so like infatuated with how this person was talking. And I was like, but why though? Like, there's nothing that's keeping my attention here. And I, I don't ever want to be that scholar that gets to that point where I am tr I'm speaking in the way that we've been forced to write, taking it away from the way that I have always known to um, talk about my research or my work. Um, and so I think that it was a natural, like, I want to make sure that it's not only the writing that's for a very specific audience, it's also doing the same type of conversation work that I'm doing with my family and doing that type of work too. And I think that it, it can be hard sometimes because you open yourself up to a crap ton more people because like the five people in my field that are interested in black science fiction and education may email me or say something or whatever. But when you're writing something and it goes into someplace like the Horn Book or something, or it goes onto uh, HuffPost or even some of like the smaller um, blog posts for organizations, you're opening yourself up and you're writing it in a way that people can critique you. Um, and in all honesty, I've appreciated it because like, well, did you, did you find this book too? Like I've been called out on not including books in my lists of things because like, well, I read this one and therefore you should have put it in there. And that opens it up because those five people may not have asked me about that, those things. But when I write it in a way that more people are interested in, then I get more engagement with the work and I get to talk to the people who actually care about things um, influencing. Like those five professors aren't influencing the classrooms that those black girls are in, but these articles that are a thousand words or less can. And so I guess that's, that's how it became a center pillar because I want to help black girls like me in those classrooms that, and where their teachers probably won't read them 30 page articles that we write. I really appreciate the way you've, laid that out because I have had this discussion with Raven often, especially since Raven writes a lot in um, outside publications. Um, I stopped after my master's degree. And so I, and I, I and did so intentionally. I did a terminal master's degree program that didn't have a PhD attached to it because I was really struggling with how to talk about the things I wanted to talk about that didn't sound 
in ways that weren't so obtuse as to lose myself in like the structures and language of academia because I feel like for me there was a a comfort and a familiarity and all that flowery language and all of the ways that we had been taught to speak and write and it was much harder for me to start distilling those ideas down in very um, comprehensible ways and so almost like you know writing twitter threads became a challenge for me say what are the ways that i can explain the things that i've been studying in black science fiction and fantasy the things i'm passionate about in visibility and representation in short, concise ways. Um, and I'm still struggling with that. It's something that has been ironically harder than academia is for me, is like writing in those ways that are outside of those spaces. So it's really inspiring to hear about someone who has integrated that into their professional um, and academic work, because I don't, I don't know how I would have done that. I feel like I'm only now starting to get an idea of what that would be through like this podcast, just talking to you and talking to Raven. Um, and so as someone who is interested in reading more of that work, in addition to your curation of reading Black Futures, what's your favorite piece or your favorite reflection of your research that someone should read? And what was your experience writing it? So this is a very hard question. Um, I like my work a lot. Like I do, like I think that I put a lot of myself and my heart into everything that I write. Um, and so it's really hard to be like, this is my favorite, <laughs> um, but I'm going That's to totally valid. <laughs> say my dissertation though. Um, and I'm going to say that because I wrote it as a sci-fi novel and I did that and it filled me in ways that I think that some of my other scholarship did not. Um, like there are a lot of people that I talk to who are like, oh, like after the dissertation is done, like you don't want to look at it anymore. You don't want to look at the data. Like it's so draining. And I've written so much from the dissertation because of like the fun that I had with it. Like I had so much fun transforming things <laughs> into characters and concepts and themes for the novel and stuff like that. Um, and so that to me, I would say is my favorite piece of research because it builds off of all of the other things that I had written and that I had done, but I was able to write it in a way that spoke to who I was as a being in this world. Um, and I think that even though I love pretty much everything I've written, with it, I think there's one I don't really like, but everything else, I think that those speak to who I am, yes. But writing it in that way specifically spoke to who I was and who I saw myself becoming. So that's why it's my favorite. And really quickly, I just wanted to um, also get uh, you to maybe explain a little more about reading Black Futures. I realized I had referenced it, but we haven't talked about it formally in the structure of the podcast. So love it if you take some time to just introduce our listeners to your that project of yours. Oh, yeah. So I started... It wasn't called Reading Black Futures until this year. Before it was called Diverse Futures, that website is still up, but it's coming down um, at the end of, I think it's August is when I stopped paying for it. Um, but initially what I wanted to do was I, I kept getting asked the question of like, do these books exist? Because I was like, we're talking about Black YA fantasy and sci-fi. And they were like, oh, well, you found these three books, but like, are there really enough to build a body of research on? And so I was like, well, of course there is. But then like, 
did I, there was no list for me to like say, if you just look here, you will see the plethora of books that are available. And so I started curating a list and I basically just started writing down every book that I had remembered, things that I had heard of, recommendations that I had gotten, looked at my Goodreads list of the want to reads and like just started from there. And at first I only had like a hundred books or so. And then, then I started crowdsourcing. And so like some of the Facebook groups I was in and stuff like that, I was like, Hey, like, do y'all have any books that you've written or that you know of that like I should add? And so it was a, um, Facebook post. And I just kept adding to my initial Facebook post. So if people were sharing it, they could see like the numbers being added and added. And then from there, I think I was at like 250 to 300. And then since then, I've just been keeping my eye out for um, whenever there are contracts that are published and like saying, no, we're, we're glad to say that this person has a publishing contract and the book will come out in this year. So I try to like keep track of those. Um, I try to keep track of blog posts of like, um, the publisher websites and stuff like that, and just keep a list up to date. I um, try to update the list every three months or so, because if I updated every time I saw a new book, I would be updating probably at, at this point, like every two weeks at the um, least. So I was like, this will be a way that I can manage it and keep it going, even though I have a job and all that stuff. So um it's basically just like, I'm using it as my professional website as well, just because I can't manage two websites. I can hardly manage one by myself. And so um, it's part professional website where it has all my stuff on it, but the main part of it is a list of black science fiction and fantasy books written by traditionally published, indie published and self-published black authors. Um, there are, um, books on there with black main characters who are written by not non-black authors but there are indicators to show like if this is written by a certain person so like if it is a black male author if it's a black female author if it is a black non-binary or trans author like i make sure that there's de designation so people know um and then if they have no color on their name then that means that they are not a black person writing the book and so i keep that up there as just a way to say like i always get asked like what are your recommendations and i'm just like on my site, you have so many books that you can choose from. And so that's kind of like what it is. That's why I'm doing it. And my hope is that like, it can just be a resource for people who are looking for book recommendations. That's essentially all it is. I'm not reviewing books and stuff like that. Like I read a lot of them that are on there and I do reviews and stuff on Goodreads a lot, but it's just a resource for people to find books. And that's, that's what makes me happy is when people can find them. Yeah. Um, I So we will make sure that we link Reading Black Futures for listeners to check out since we always get questions about Black uh, science fiction and fantasy recommendations. Um, but also I have used, um, you know, before uh, Reading Black Futures was Reading Black Futures, um, I did use your book list um, in my course for my students to peruse when they were getting ready to do their final projects. So I also use it as a teaching resource. Um, it's very helpful. Um, and it's also, you know, as you've said, like, you know, they, I didn't want them to look at me and think I am the only person in the entire world who knows where I could find more books like this. You know what I mean? So I wanted to make sure that there were other ways that they could continue finding um whatever their heart's desire was once they left the class my goal was only to introduce them right like it was only to start so to go back to the you know original 
piece where you were talking about your dissertation. I, you know, I love hearing you talk about your dissertation in such a loving way. Like it makes me want, it makes me want to have and like be loud about the love I have for my own dissertation. Like, I think when we get into academia, we, we do sort of let ourselves get trampled a little bit by trying to make the convoluted sentences and things like that. And I love that you wrote it as a science fiction novel, you know, hearing you talk about your dissertation and that it was a good experience for you and that you're done and you can look back on it and you still love it is actually very affirming for me. And I, you know, I, I don't think we see enough black women really loving their projects, like really loving the work that they're doing because the academy makes it so hard for us to just exist, right? Like there's almost no space for love when that's really what fuels most of us, right? But you've got a book forthcoming based on it. All right. Congratulations. Um, Do you want to tell us a little bit about it and what it's been like working with with editors at a press? Yeah. Um, So... I started querying presses in January after going on. So I went on a job talk and actually the job talk at the job that I have now. And they were like, oh, you're writing a book. You need to like go and submit this to a university press. And I was like, no, y'all ain't going to get me to have all these no's and rejections. Um, And they're like, no, you got to do it. Like this, this is a good something. And like, this could be something that could help others who may like want that creative something attached to the academic something. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go query some book, some presses. And so I sent out five queries to university presses and I got rejections from all of them. And in every single one of the letters, and I kept them because like, I will remember these, but like, I kept them because it said like, oh, we really like the premise of your idea, but we don't publish fiction. And I was just like, but it's, it, yes, it's fiction, but it's also so much more than that. There's so much research, like so much. And it doesn't like, it doesn't read to me like a traditional sci-fi novel would because it is a research um, project, but that just, it was like, nose, 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 nose. And then I spoke to um, one of my mentors and she uh, was working with Rutledge and she was just like, well, talk to me about what what your plan is for the book version of your dissertation. And I was talking to her about it and she was just like, well, why don't you submit it to my series? And I was just like, really? (laughs) I was like, can I do that? Like, since I know you. And she was just like, yes she's like you should have sent it already um and of course like she doesn't have control over like whether the press accepts the thing or not like she can say like I approve it to be sent to the press but then that that's about all you're gonna get so um I wrote the proposal sent it there and then they liked it um and I was just like really and they were like yeah and then they there were certain things that they wanted me to add and to change. And that I think would, was the hardest part of like the revising process, but like they wanted an introductory chapter that talks about the theory and the method. Um, And so I have a very long theory and methods 
preface that explains like here is all of the ideas that went behind it and I'm calling it in darkened story work and so like it has that long explanation and it's it's written in like a semi-academic I try to like take some of like not to do too much um and then I try to do it like as a, a story in a way so I start out with um the story of Anansi and how he got his stories and say that like our ancestors use story as a research method and once we get to this academy, they take that. It's like, no, it's too narrative, narratively written. Unless you're doing arts-based research, then it does not count for a specific journal or whatever. And I'm and my argument that I make in that first chapter is like before research was research, we've been researching and using story to do it. And so um, I added that chapter in the traditional dissertation um, after every chapter there were endnotes that explained like here are the things that are going into these different spaces in the book those are gone so I took those out because I didn't want it to be something where people were flipping back and forth to the end notes trying to figure out I'm like no because that takes you out of the story of what's happening so I added um companion chapters at the end of the book so it'll have it has like the preface with all the theory stuff in it all of the fiction and then there are companion chapters at the end and the, each of those companion chapters accompany one of the fiction chapters and they um describe the research the workshop for my study um my personal life and things that were going on in the real world that influence the story and that way for those people who are like no this isn't research i detail why it is and so that is the book and working with the press has been really it's been an amazing and affirming experience. And I know that some people have not had a good experiences with presses, but to have like them come back and they're like, yes, this is something that we're interested in. Here are the ways that we think we can, you can make it better. And then like having the series editor, like when I say a loving critique, like that was probably the most loving critique that I have seen in a work because she's just like, you know, I really want them to be in this space with you. And so when you write it this way, like I was really bad with um, uh, conversation tags. I use said so much because like, I don't have any more words in me. Said is all they gonna do. And like, she was talking, she's like this, she's like change some of these, make the, where's the action? Like have some of your characters walking around or tossing their hair or something like that. And she's like, I want them to be in this space with you like I am. And so like that type of stuff or there was one point where she was like, I see that you cited all of these white authors in your methods. This ain't your dissertation anymore. Take them out. I was like, yo, gathered, like gathered me. And it was a loving gathering. And but the thing is, that statement gave me permission to say like I was saying like, oh, it's thematic analysis. And that's because like I didn't use thematic analysis, but I said I did because that's what I was supposed to do. Right. And so she was like, I take that out. And so I changed it and I had um, I used black quilting as method. So like using the different ways that black people have quilted and tied things together and then uplifting those seams in order to find the connection of tissue like I used it that way. But like I needed that permission. Um, but like having her say that and for her to be like a representative of the press and for it just to be like, like I said, a loving gathering, like that has been the most amazing experience. And so like when this book comes out, like there will probably be some people like, well, this isn't science fiction -y enough or this seems too research focused in this section. There are gonna be people that do that, but I love it. And it can't nobody tell me nothing. <laughs>
People can't see us because this is an audio podcast, but we are both snapping and clapping over here. I'm losing my mind. But I wanted to ask one last question because you use this term and darkened story work, which I think is so beautiful. And we talked to Ebony Elizabeth Thomas last season on this podcast, and she also used the term and darkened in her book and in the podcast. So I'd love to hear more about what the idea of and darkened means to you. And if there are any recent books you've read or shows you've watched that tie back into that word for you. Um, so I used and darkened because I was thinking about what it would look like for us in the future. And I think about some of the tensions surrounding the word black and who knows, we might be another word because of course the word for what we are, what we term ourselves has changed so often in the last even century. So who knows what will be in the future. But when I think of and darkened, I think of solidarity and I think of collectivity and I think of unity that spans across those who are dark. And dark meaning, of course, like that does do the separation of like dark and non-white and all of that. But like, when I think about what that word stands for, for me, and coming from a womanist perspective, like I see everything as a collective, like in order for us to to reach liberation, there needs to be a collectivity. And so in darkened is that word for me that can bring all things together in my mind. Um, And then the premise of the book is that in the future, they have come up with a scientific procedure that blocks and darkened people from dreaming. Why? Because that would stop the collective liberation because we cannot dream together. And so that to me, I think is why I use that word and what it means for me. And I know there are like, of course, like academic words. I think of like Cynthia Dillard's work where she used like in darkened feminist epistemologies. And I know a lot of people who use like in darkened as a term, but when I think of it, it is black, it is Asian, it is Latinx, it is indigenous, it is trans, it is everyone. And so that to me, those who are in darkened are those who are put in the dark because we do not, we're not conforming to the ways that traditional whatever say that we have to conform to. So they put us to the margins, put us in the darkness. And that's my way of reclaiming it. Um, When I think about books that I've watched or not books that I've watched, books that I've read or shows that I've watched, um, I just finished Beasts of Prey by Ayana Gray. And I, I see it, I see it on the, uh, on your shelf back there. I am in love with that book, even though it left me on a cliffhanger and I'm not excited about that. But like, I love that book, Blood Like Magic, I read, and that gave me all of the feels. Like I am still reeling from that book. Um, Daughters of Jubilation, I read a couple months back. But I love that one as well. Like the way that, sh- like the writing was just beautiful, but the story was just, and, and I think that when I tie it to In Dark End, because like a lot of those books have such, like they have some really dark themes in them, but the way that there is a collectivity of people, whether it's family, friends, um, could be just like, I don't know, strangers, like depending on like they were initially strangers and now they're like helping each other through a magical forest. Like there is a collectivity that these Black women authors are writing about in ways that are meaningful, in ways that uplift Blackness that I really want to see more of. 
like, and the full, not even just blackness, but the full range of blackness. Like we got anxious black girls. We got mad black girls. We got black girls who cry all the time. We got black girls who refuse to cry or to have any emotion. And it's like the gamut of existence for black life that I love to see. And I think that, I don't know, these black women authors, they are just, they're adding to my TBR pile, but they are killing the game in their representation of the gamut of Black life. And so that, I think, ties into when I think about In Darken and just, just the way that they're writing these books as a collective of Blackness and of just the gamut of In Darkened bodies in their work. I gotta say, uh, all of the books that you listed were amazing. I've read all of them and I really love them. I'm writing a reviews for a couple of them. Um, but I'm especially excited about that Beast of Prey shout out because I work at Penguin Young Readers. And so we are in the middle of talking about, you know, getting people excited for Beast of Prey. So I'm always excited to, to hear that there's an, another Ayana Gray fan out there. Uh, thank you so much for your time. We could talk forever about all of the books and the shows and the, the media and the scholarship that we all love together. Um, but unfortunately, we got to wrap up. So lastly, we just want you to tell our listeners where they can find you on social media or websites, et cetera, um, and your other work and things that people can look forward to seeing from you soon. Yeah. So my Twitter is SR underscore Tolliver. Um, my Facebook and stuff is just my name. <laughs> my Instagram is SR underscore Tolliver again. Um, but I am really bad with Instagram. I used to be a lot better, but the pandemic happened and I was not posting photos. So now I have to like figure out how to do it again. Um, my website we mentioned earlier is readingblackfeatures.com. Um, there's a contact me form on there. Um, and Let's see, other things that are coming out of uh, the article that I um, submitted for the Promising Researcher Award for the National Council for Teachers of English should be out within the next month or two. Um, and then I have another article on white pre-service teachers' inability to imagine black and brown life that will come out in the next month or two. So that one will be an interesting one to read. Um, and then my book actually will come out in the fall. So I'm really excited about that. So it'll come out in November, actually. So I'm really excited. Oh, and we're excited for you. I can't wait to, to see the book. I can't wait to read it. Um, and thank you again, Stephanie, so much for spending this time with us. And thank you to you listeners for joining us this week on Dreaming in the Dark. We'll see you next time. Bye.